king's coming. <laughs> if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in a series on this book. Today I want to talk about the down and out. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. He says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. They had no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he that, than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. It is a sore travail. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. And how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Before I forget it, tonight is our prayer service. Uh, I invite you to be back for the prayer service tonight. Anybody here, you raise your hand. Anybody here ever heard of John Howard Payne? That's okay, I couldn't have raised my hand either. Uh, he's not an athlete, he's not a millionaire, he's not an actor, he's not a politician, but he had a lot of politicians showed up at his funeral. He's the one that was credited with a very famous line. They made it into a song that said this, Mid pleasures and palaces, though we may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Home is where you can let your hair down, put your feet up. One of the most wonderful things I can hear each night is we don't have no place to go. We can stay home. I'm a homebody. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I don't care where my wife goes as long as I don't have to go. Uh, <laughs> I like to stay home. Uh, there's another phrase we've heard from time to time, down and out. It means destitute, impoverished, without money and without a home. I can't think of a worse thing to be homeless, Amen. to not have a place called home. Let me read you some statistics. There are about 567, 715, 567,715 homeless people in this country. I don't know who keeps these statistics. 70% of them are individuals. 30% are families. 37,000 are veterans. 35,000 are children, runaways or whatever, living by themselves on their own. 
60% are men, 40% are women. A good percentage of them are addicted to alcohol or drugs. Many of them have mental illnesses and various things going on. Those in this country that are living in poverty. Now, here's what poverty is, according to the government statistics, 2023. A family of one or one person, anybody making under $14,580 is in poverty. A family of two, anybody make, a family making less than 19720 a year. Three, 24860 Four, 30000 There are 9.1 white people in this country in poverty. Now, based on those statistics, that's, you know, roughly 10% of 500-something thousand. That's, that's, that's a lot of people. 15.7 Hispanic are living in poverty. 18.8% black people are living in poverty. Solomon the preacher, the writer of this book, was one of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth in, in history. But he understood what it meant, or understood the plight of the oppressed, the down and out, the homeless, the people that didn't have anything. There are three types of people mentioned in this chapter we're going to look at today that are having a difficult life. Life is not easy, especially under the sun, without the Lord. The oppressed, the people that are financially hurting, could be lazy, could be without a job, could be whatever, but those, and the lonely, those three have a very difficult life. So let's look at them today and let's look at the down and out. The oppressed, let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3 one more time. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the, uh, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. It would be better to be dead than live a life. Of the oppressed. This is a worldwide problem. 1776, when Thomas Jefferson penned the words in the Declaration, he said this, we, have, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That's a true statement. In the eyes of God, there are no big eyes, no little use. We're all on level ground in the eyes of God. Uh, strong usually oppress the weak. The wealthy often oppress the poor. The powerful often oppress the vulnerable. The majority often oppress the minority. What do you mean by oppression? The prolonged cruel or unjust treatment or control of someone, being treated unfairly or wrongfully, the unjust use of power at other people's expense. Now, there's certain things in life that irritate me and really make my blood boil, and that's see, seeing somebody taken advantage of, seeing somebody uh, mistreated, uh, things like this, exploited, whatever it may be. There's a lot of people in this world that are oppressed. Their life is very difficult because somebody or people's got their thumb on them. Let me read you what I looked up a site and said these are some of the most oppressed people in, on earth today. And one of them is women. It said this, women are in the majority on the earth, but because they're the, the weaker sex, they're not as strong as men, a lot of times they're Oppressed in Sharia law in many Muslim countries, women are really oppressed. Said this, many of them are not allowed to drive a car. 
They can't initiate a divorce. They can't make a, or sign a contract. In some countries, domestic violence against women, you don't even get punished for. In this country, the statistics said that women that have the same job as a man make 77% of what the man makes in the same job. So they said women across the world, mostly in Africa and, and Middle East and Asia, are very oppressed. Another one they said was elderly people. Elderly people are more of a, a pain to us now. They're in the way. They don't, they're not quick enough. They don't, can't do things. We need to get them on out of the picture. A lot of them are oppressed, taken advantage of, discarded, and forgotten. The American Indian, somebody said, you know, we come and took this land and we give them a little piece of land to, as a reservation sometimes. Children, many children in this country are oppressed. They come to school and they look okay, but they go home, they're beaten or abused, neglected. Parents are alcoholics, drug addicts. We don't know what some kids have to go through. Suffering silently. Of people of nationalities or races, the Jewish people have been very oppressed over the centuries. Probably as oppressed as anybody when we went to Israel in, in 2012, I enjoyed all the things as a Christian because this was uh, the land that I wanted to, be a, to go see, uh, whether it's the Sea of Galilee or the Jordan River or going through the old city and all the things. But one of the things that I really touched my life there in Israel was going to the Holocaust Museum. And to go through that and see what that was all about was terrible. Well, a few years later, we went to Germany. These are trips in the farm supply business we got to go on. We went to Germany, and one of the things that stood out to me, we went right outside not too far from Munich, was a concentration camp, Dachau. And we went through there, and I looked at the ovens where they were killed and cooked and so forth. It was, it was very eye-opening. Out of the six million Jews that were murdered and killed in the Holocaust, I didn't realize this, one and a half million were kids. So there's a lot of people that are oppressed. This is a national problem in our own country, injustice. We're a nation of law. If we cease to be a nation of law, we cease to be a nation. I like what Martin Luther King said. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I couldn't believe when the riots and things were going on in recent years and mayors said, told the police, stand down. Let them burn, let them loot, let them tear, let them destroy this. I didn't understand any of that. There's places like Proposition 47 in California where they've lowered some standards where felonies now are just misdemeanors and they get little or no treatment or anything like that and any punishment. Poor people, minorities, everything's not level in the law. If you don't have the money, you can't get the high-priced lawyers. If you don't have the money, you might not even pay bail. It's very difficult. It's very tough. Now, God is a God of justice. Don't ever forget that. We say God is love in the Bible. We quote in the Scriptures. He is love. But He is just. You'll never see God mistreating anyone on this earth unjustly. Now, we have questions like this. Well, what about the people never heard about Jesus? Where are they going to go? What about the people that were born and raised in in false religions, never knew anything else. And we got all these, how's God going to treat them? I, I don't know. 
completely. I, we've taught on this before. I don't have all the answers. And he won't be treating them fairly in the eyes of a lot of people. But I can promise you that they won't be treated unjustly. Amen. Nobody will be treated unjustly in the eyes of God. God loves justice. He hates to see people oppressed by man. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Uh, Psalm 89:14 and 2 Chronicles, let's go on, says this, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Wherefore, now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, for there is no uh, iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. You can't bribe God. Come on down and let's read some of these other scriptures in Proverbs and Leviticus. Divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord, taking advantage of somebody, stealing from and a false balance is not good. Leviticus 19.15 Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. Don't play favorites there. But in the righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. And the last one. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth... Faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey, and the Lord save it, saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. I get to put my money where my mouth is tomorrow. I got to go to jury duty. But anyway, uh, uh, justice is a big thing. People getting oppressed is a big thing. People that live under oppression the rest of all their life is a very miserable life. Second one he's going to talk about. I put the lazy. Uh, I want to talk to you just a moment about work or the power of, of labor. Genesis 2.15, first thing God did after he made man and woman, he put them in the garden, he put them and said, go to work. They had to tend to the, the trees and, and all the fruit and all that. They had to dress the garden and so forth. The oldest profession in the earth is not prostitution. Oldest profession is pomology, fruit tree farming. And that's what they were doing in the Garden of Eden. Jesus said, I got to work while it's day. The night's coming when no man can work. Paul did, said, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. He had no, no toleration for people that wouldn't work or wouldn't uh, put food on the table. We used to have an old uh, salesman come by the office. I liked him. He was from Georgia. And uh, his name was Larry Warren. And uh, he would try to sell his chemicals and stuff like that. And he had it even on his pen. He was called Poor Old Larry Warren. And he, 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 would always, he would always say this, Remember, Wes, if you buy from me, you're buying from the needy and not the greedy. And so uh, that was his it was thing. But working and producing food and, and producing money is a big thing. It takes work. Now think about this. Jesus paid the price for our salvation. He did the work. It's finished. But we're also to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. It takes effort to love people the way God says to love people. To, to take a, a slap on the cheek, an insult, and turn it and let them do it another one. To go a second mile if they tell you to go two. To love those that curse you and pray for them that despitefully abuse you and so forth and hate you. It takes effort. To have a relationship with God that goes deep where God's anointing is upon your life. It takes effort to have a prayer life where you really are an, en an enemy of our enemy. He, he, he's a threat. You're a threat to him. 
It takes effort and work to stay in the Word of God and study to show yourself approved that God opens up the, the deep things of mysteries of the Word of God to you. It takes effort. Many Christians are at ease. They hadn't gone the second mile because they didn't go the first mile. Uh, a lot of people are sleeping. So here's the problem he's talking about. Look at the problems of labor under the sun. In verse 4, look at verse 4. Again, I considered all travail and in every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of the spirit. A lot of people work for the wrong reasons, to impress others, to outdo others, to have what others have or want what others have and so forth, covetous and greed and things like that. Uh, and that's not a good time to work. Somebody said this, way to work. Somebody said, it's good to have the things that money can buy as long as you don't lose the things that money can't buy. Amen. And that's a big deal. What does it cost your life? There's a lot of people live under the sun in this way. They're either trying to make money and, that, and, they, and they give up so many things that are so valuable in the attempt to have vanity and have money that they miss out on the things that are most precious. They're sacrificing eternal things to have temporary things. Jesus said this, What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? It's a big thing. The second thing he's talking about in verse 5 and 6 around work is the idle man, the one that doesn't work. The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit, where you eat, drink, and be merry, and you just you get up and goes, got up and went, and you don't have any energy, you don't want to do anything, you just want to sit back and, and be idle and things like that. God doesn't have any sympathy for a lazy person, I can tell you that. If you don't have any drive or any energy. Paul was the wealthiest man on the earth, but he was one of the hardest workers. He was constantly building things, constantly trying to do this and that and stretch himself. And that's a big thing. Look at what the Bible says about lazy people in Proverbs. Don't have that, okay? We won't look at what he said about Proverbs. I forgot to put that up there. Anyway, it, it wasn't good, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> But it takes work to have good character. It takes work to have a strong family. It takes work to have godly kids. It takes work uh, in the eyes of God. But I really kind of brushed through those a little quickly because this is where I was going to spend most of the time. Here's another group of people on the earth that have a difficult life. The lonely. The lonely. Loneliness in the Word of God. Let's look at verse 8 if we would. There's one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. It is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with the riches. With riches, Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. I'm going to look at some things here. We're going to talk the rest of this uh, message about people that are alone and why it's not good to be alone uh one of the, we talked about music here a week or two ago and one of the kind of music of the people that are lonely in this world is the blues they're singing the blues because they're saying they're singing woe is me listen to what the bible says about being lonely psalm 142 4 i looked on my right hand and beheld 
and there was no man that would would acknowledge me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Psalm 25, 16. Turn unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Psalm 69, 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Loneliness in the world today. Listen to this. In 1986, 10% of people in America felt like they had no one to confide in. They felt alone. 2006, 20 years later, 25% in this country felt like they had nobody to confide in. I don't know what today's, almost 20 years later, it's probably 40 to 50%. Did you know this 25%, one out of four people in America ate by themselves last night? I don't know if you've ever heard of hikikomori. That is a Japanese term, and it means shut in. It's something that's affecting the nation of Japan. It's young men. They have so much pressure and stress on them to, to, in that culture to survive and have a great career or whatever. When, if they lose their job or they can't get a good job or uh, look like they're going nowhere, sometimes they snap under the pressure and they go become hermits. And they withdraw from society. Some of them go back to their parents' house, live in the basement or dungeon or whatever it may be because they can't handle so they just withdraw. Now, there was a man in Detroit, Michigan, 71 years of age, very lonely. For the last 10 years, he spends every day playing solitaire. And he keeps record of every game. 132,400 games he's played and he's got a record of each one now let me say what loneliness is not before we get into this loneliness is not solitude solitude is where you withdraw from society for a time or withdraw from people for a time for a reason for a purpose that's not the same as loneliness solitude you withdraw from people in the scriptures for three reasons one to rest the bible says in mark 6 31 32 And he said unto them, this is Jesus, come yourselves aside into a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a deserted place by ship by themselves. So you get away from the crowd, sometimes you need to to rest. Second reason you get away in solitude is to pray. Here's what it said in Matthew 4. I mean, Matthew 14, 13, and 23. Now, this is after the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his head cut off. They went and told Jesus. And after Jesus heard this news, this is what he did. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a deserted place. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Sometimes you have to get alone to pray, to seek the face of God. And sometimes you have to get alone to hear from God. Daniel 10, 8, he said this, Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. So a lot of times, there's times in life when you need to be alone. You need to get away. You need to uh, have some solitude. But that's not what he's talking about here. The rest of this message, we're going to deal with loneliness for just a little bit. I'm going to tell you this. 
we need, each, we need other people in our lives. We need other people. You need friends. You need people you can count on, people you can call on, people that were, are there for you. And he's going to give us four benefits of friendship. I was asked to do this scripture right here. Uh, I had a, Gail and her husband, Tom, they got married here a few weeks ago in my office. And she wanted this scripture right here read uh, in the wedding ceremony. So I did. So it's somewhat fresh on my mind. But I want to tell you four reasons we need each other. Four reasons for friendship. Friendship involves working together. Look at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Anybody heard the old saying, many hands make light work? We all know that. It's good to work together with other people. Uh, In the Middle Ages... Uh, laziness or not working at all was considered one of the seven deadly sins. Did you know that? Lust, anger, pride, envy, gluttony, greed, and slothfulness. It's difficult to do a lot of jobs by yourself. You're blessed if you can. A lot of times you need somebody to help you with the job because you need a helping hand. You need somebody to help you lift something. You need somebody to hold something. You need somebody to go get something. It's so much better when you can work together with somebody. So, We need others because we need others to work with us. Second thing he says, we need others. Our friendship involves not just working together. It involves walking together. Verse 10, for if they fall, this is why you need to walk with somebody else, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that's alone when he falls, for he hath not another one to help him up. The Bible says in Amos 3, 3, How can two walk together unless they be agreed? We need people to work with us to make us more productive. We need people to walk with us to make the journey more pleasant. Somebody said this one time, don't walk in front of me, I might not follow. Don't walk behind me, I might not lead. Walk beside me and we'll walk together. Somebody said a friend is somebody that walks in when other people walk out. Let me give you my definition of a Christian, of what Christianity really is. Because the Bible says the Christian life is a race. It's a marathon. We're running a race. But it's really a walk, too. The best definition I've heard of Christianity is an experience, being born again, followed by a relationship. It's an experience followed by a relationship. We are to walk in the Spirit, walk in the light, walk in truth, walk in love, walk in newness of life, walk worthy of your calling, walk uprightly, and on and on. It's a walk, it's a relationship, it's a lifestyle. Parents used to say to older children, you go off with your little brother or your little sister, You hold their hand. You be with them. Don't go off and leave them. You walk with them. You know, I don't know how many of y'all know this. Uh, This happened right right at 60 years ago, but like it could have happened 60 minutes ago in my mind. This is back in 1963. You see my sister up here plays the bass. She's in a wheelchair, but she got in an accident in 1981, January, and that's why she was paralyzed. But long before that, when we were kids, I, my, Anil was nine, I was seven, Pam was five, and Becky was four. 
we were walking from our house on 121 to my cousin's house. My cousins were with Mike. He was like 12 or 13, and Kathy was 10 or 11. We were walking from our house to there. It was probably 400 yards. Now, 121 back then was not like it is today. It wasn't I-75. Uh, it, it, it's terrible today, but there wasn't that much traffic. But we were walking, me and Mike and Becky was with us walking in the ditch on the left-hand side of the road. And Anil and Pam and Kathy, and some, they were in the ditch on the right-hand side of the road. And we were walking there, and first thing I looked up, I think Becky was behind me. She decided she was going from our side to their side. And she got hit by a car. And it looked to me like she flew 50 feet at least. I've never seen any. It's still in my head. I remember she had a skull fracture and I don't know all the different broken bones. We weren't paying attention. We weren't walking hand in hand. You got to walk with people. The Bible talks about restoring, doing things like this, walking. We need each other to walk with us in this life. We're walking with Jesus, and we're hopefully walking in the Spirit according to the Word, but we need people too. Somebody said this, some attacks you can't face on your own. Some enemies you can't defeat on your own. Some habits you can't break on your own. Some battles you can't fight on your own. Some attitudes you can't change on your own. And some problems you can't solve on your own. We need other people. We need not only to work together, we need to walk together. And then the third, third thing he says, you need people in your life to warm together. Verse 11, if two lie together, then they have, <clears throat> then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Now, you need people in your life to make your work more productive. You need people in your life to make your walk more encouraged and more encouraging and pleasant. And you need people in your life to help comfort you and bring warmth in a very cold world. People that are close to you, somebody that knows you and, and understands you, they can spot spiritually when you're getting cold. And we need somebody to hold us accountable sometimes. We need mentors. We need people that will to look out for us. The Bible says, you remember in the in book of Genesis, Cain killed his brother, Abel. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Made Cain jealous. He went and killed his brother. And God came looking for Cain. He knew where he was at. He said, hey, where's your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You remember that? Is it my day to keep up with him? He knew he'd killed him. And God knew he killed him. But a lot of people are like that. It ain't my job to keep up with other people. It's not my job to be there for other people. It's not my job to oversee somebody's spiritual walk and things like that. The Bible talks about in Galatians, if you see your brother at fault or in sin, let he that is spiritual go to him and to restore him in the spirit of meekness. The Bible talks about that. We're supposed to, we are our brother's keeper. We're supposed to look out for each other. That's the whole purpose of it all. I'll never forget the old uh, story somebody said. A couple was at church and the preacher had been preaching on being a good neighbor, a godly neighbor. And they got home, they were talking about it one day and they were in a subdivision. They 
Look, about two or three houses down on the other side of the subdivision street they were living on, there was a moving van built up. They said, you know, let's be a good neighbor like the preacher says. Let's go in there. I'm going to bake a pound cake. We're going to go over and meet our new neighbors. We're going to tell them how glad we are to have them in this subdivision, how good this town is, and, and invite them to church, and we're going to be good neighbors to them. And so they went down there. She baked them a pound cake and went down there, and they were loading, doing stuff in the, with the moving van. She said, I just wanted to introduce myself to y'all. Me and Bill, my husband here, we live three, just a few houses down. I want you to know that you're coming to a good neighborhood. You've got good neighbors here. This is a good community. We've got a good church. We'd like to invite you to that. And I wanted to bake you this pound cake to show you how much we love you. And the woman took it and said, thank you. But I'm a little embarrassed. She says, why? She said, oh, we're not moving in. We're moving out. We've been here eight years. <laughs> Sometimes it'll catch you if you're not careful. But friendship involves warming together, being there for one another. Friendship involves watching together. If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. And I like history. My son-in-law loves history. I I hate church history, most of it, because it's boring. Woo, it was boring. From about the, after about the second century on up to the Reformation period and through the Dark Age, that's some boring stuff there. But I don't really care much for world history a whole lot. I do like American history. I do care about where we've come from and, and, and our country and so forth. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about history. In 1803, President Thomas Jefferson... I think he'd sent James Monroe to Paris, France. And they worked out a deal and made a purchase of some land, the Louisiana Purchase. Now, they wasn't just buying the... They were buying this from France, who had gotten it from Spain, but they were buying this section of land in our country. And it stretches not just Louisiana, it stretches from the Gulf all the way up to Canada and from the Mississippi River west to the, Colorado, to the Rocky Mountains. It was 828,000 square miles. That's a good chunk of land we bought. Here's the only problem. There wasn't many people going out there to occupy it. They didn't go across the Mississippi to go out there and take advantage of it. So by 1862, they come up with the Homestead Act of 1862. That was from Andrew Johnson come up with that. And President Lincoln signed off on it. And it was basically this. The government would give you land if you'll go out there and settle it. And they were given 160 acres. All you had to do, there were, here were the qualifications. You had to be at least 21 years of age, the head of your household. You had to be an American citizen or in the process of getting your citizenship. And they would give you 160 acres, and here's what you had to do. You had to go build a house on that land. You had to develop, work the land, farm it or whatever. And... Uh, Stay there, and after five years, if you had a couple people that could come and vouch that you've done this, witnesses, you go to the land office and everything, they run the records, check you out, that was your property, 160 acres worth. How many would do that today? <laughs> I'd pay money to get some people to go out of Florida just to go somewhere else. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, that was not easy. That was not easy. That's why people weren't doing it. They even upped it. Uh, around the 1900s, up to 640 acres. But you had to go out into the desert pretty much to, uh, to, to live there. I don't think I want to live out in the desert. 
Uh, that Homestead Act of 1862 was repealed in 1976, and it's now the Federal Land Policy and Management Act. But anyway, you think of that today, 160 acres a day. If it's just farmland, that's a million, million and a half dollars worth. If it's better land or something or, or something used for other things, that could be worth two, three, four, five, six million or whatever. A lot of land. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to go very often. But the settlers, the homesteaders, the squatters, some of them took them up on that. But it was very difficult. Life was hard. You're going out there and you're going through blizzards and you're going through the heat and the drought and so forth. Just to clear land, if the land they gave you had woods on it and you had to clear it before you could farm it, really, it took them about 32 days to clear one acre of land. Just to put that in perspective, to do a 40-acre plot, it would take you three-point-something years, almost three-and-a-half years. This, this, these oats out here, this 56 acres, it would took you probably five years or better just to clear it so you could farm it. Cutting down the trees with axes and, and uh, cross-cut saws and delimiting and trying to snake them out of the woods with a mule. or and it, That's work, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Day after day just to be able to do it, getting rid of the stumps and so forth. It was work. That's how much we wanted people to go settle. But it was dangerous. There was wild animals. There were Indians. You're out there, a homesteader out in the middle of nowhere. The Indian come by or the see you on their land or whatever. They didn't come by to say, how? <laughs> You'd have had less hair than I got probably. I did, it, it wouldn't have been a good thing. So they started building closer to each other. Communities. Let's develop so we can watch out for each other. Look out for one another. And that's what it is. They, people didn't like to live alone. I always tell this story, but you've probably heard it. But there was a man from New York City. Worked at Wall Street. Tired of the millions of people and all the traffic and the noise and the, everything. He, he was getting close to retirement. He said, when I leave here, I'm going to go get me a place in the middle of nowhere. So he bought him a little uh, section of land there in the backwoods of the Appalachian Mountains. Way, wasn't nobody, as far as he concerned, wasn't nobody within 100 miles of him. Way back in the woods. And when he got the cabin built, he told his boss there, he said, I'm leaving, I'm retiring, I'm going to get away from people. And he lived out there in that cabin, didn't have no TV, no electricity, he was just in the middle of nowhere. After about a week of that, he got stir-crazy. Man, I don't know if I did the right thing or not. It's lonely out there. Ain't nobody around here. One day he woke up and he heard somebody walking on his porch. He, did, he got his gun. He who's that? Somebody answered. And he opened the door. It was a man about six foot five, about 300 pounds, had on overalls, no shirt, no shoes, big old long beard, old mountaineer. I just wanted to welcome you to the, I see that you built a house here. I wanted to welcome you to this neck of the woods. He said, man, I didn't think there was anybody within 100 miles of me. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you look down there in the valley, you see that smoke coming up? That's my cabin down there. You can take this creek that you're on. Take this creek, walk about an hour and a half, you'll get to my cabin. He said, okay, well, it's good to know that somebody else up here kind of, kind of gotten lonely. He said, well, I came by just for one thing. Invite you to a party Saturday night at my place. You want to come? He said, yeah, I, I, I want to come. 
He said, okay, well, let me tell you this. You don't mind loud music, do you? And he said, no, I don't mind loud music. There's going to be loud music at the party. He said, all right, that's okay. He said, you don't mind dancing, do you? And he said, well, I'm not much of a dancer, but I can dance. I'll, I'll dance. He said, okay, they're going to be dancing. He said, you don't mind drinking, do you? He said, well, I don't really. He said, well, I got white light. I got all, everything. They're going to be some drinking. He said, okay, I'll come. He said, one other thing. He said, what's that? He said, you don't mind fighting, do you? There's going to be some fighting. Every time we have a party, there's going to be some fighting. The man got to thinking, wow, man, what kind of party is this going to be? How many are you expecting at this party? He said, just me and you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was all alone, and that's the way it was. Uh, but we, we need other people in our, in our life. Uh, we need the security of other people. You know, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God, your head and your breastplate and your sword and, and your feet and your, uh, so forth. Somebody said one time, God never gives you anything to protect your back. And they said, the reason, because you ain't supposed to be turning your back to the enemy. And you know another reason, too, besides that? We got other people helping to watch our back, too. That's one of the great things about watching together. We're working together, we're walking together, we're warming together, and we're watching together. Life is not easy. It's often very hard, hard for a lot of people. Some people are oppressed and have difficulty. They're lonely, they're struggling, and life is a chore to them. And they just escape from it. The only way they can function is to get drunk, to do drugs, to self-medicate. That's how they cope with the stress and strain of life. There's other people, they can't handle it either. And the only way they know to do it is to check out. And some of them take their own life because it's unbearable what they have to go through. But we're not to try to escape it. We're not to try to end it. And we're not even to try to live it by ourselves. I read an article one time. This is one of the great things about church. I read an article one time said, 99 reasons you should go to church. I don't need 99 reasons. I just need one. And that's the number one reason because God said to. Amen. He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some men. So I don't need all the other 98, but those are good too. But let me give you five reasons it's important to be a part of the family of God. Not just trying to live this on your own, not trying to do your own thing. and You need other people in your life. Number one, coming to church to be with your brothers and sisters, that's an expression of your love for the Lord Jesus. Did you know that? Your witness, your testimony. When you love something or someone, it doesn't bother you to be inconvenienced. Let me, let me say this. If you love hunting, there's a lot of people that love to hunt, love to fish, whatever. If you love hunting, I can tell you, a real hunter, he doesn't wake up and say, oh, it's 32 degrees, I think I'm going to stay inside. He's not going to look at it and say, look, it's clouding up, it's a little misty, I think I'm going to stay inside. Ooh, it rained last night. There's some, that road's going to be muddy. I don't want to get mud on my tires. That ain't no hunter. I don't know what that is. But those are some excuses people use for not coming to church. Oh, it's love bug season. I don't want to get my car messed up. Uh, you know, it's cold. Man, it's cold. It's going to rain. I'm going to stay inside. We got all kind of because they love hunting more than you love Jesus and being with God's people usually. I didn't know if I'd get any answer for that, but that's okay. 
Here's the second reason you need to be a part of the, a body, the body of Christ. It builds your strength. There's strength in numbers. One to put a thousand to flight, two put ten thousand to flight. There's something about unity and coming together. Number three, it provides fellowship. In this world, we need somebody that loves us, that encourages us, that strengthens us, that's looking out for us, that comforts and so forth. The Lord's that for all of us, but we need other people around us in our lives. Number four, we need, we need protection from error. This is an age of deception. You're out there on your own, doing your own thing. You need people to hold you accountable, somebody to help uh, steer you in the right directions. And here's the fifth reason. When you come to church, it honors the Lord. Was it two Sundays ago was Easter? Two Sundays ago we had Easter, and we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come to church, you're celebrating it every Sunday. That's why we come on Sunday, because that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you, when you come to be a part of a fellowship, we're not meant to live alone. When the Lord told Adam in the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone, he wasn't just talking about a woman to have marriage. It's not good for any of us to live alone. It's not good to walk through this life by yourself. It's difficult. Junior Seau, I don't know how many of you have heard of him. I'm going to wind this down. He played football at Southern Cal. He was drafted by the San Diego Chargers. Then he played Miami Dolphins a little bit and then New England Patriots a little bit. But he was a 12-time Pro Bowl linebacker. was reading something by one of his teammates. He said, that was the best teammate we've ever had. He was so passionate. He had such a bubbly personality. He could get the most out of everybody. Uh, he would help everybody. He was positive. He was encouraging. He was, he was a great. But here's one thing about Junior, he said. He would not let you know that he had any issues. He would not let you know his legs hurting or he wasn't 100%. He didn't. He felt as a leader he had to be strong. Well, he retired, and many said he had CTE, that brain problem that a lot of football players have because of concussions and stuff. But one day he texted his wife and his four kids telling them he loved them, Then he went there and killed himself. And the, and the teammate says, he never let anybody in on the battles he was facing. He went at it alone. There's a lot of people down and out. This life is not meant to be alone. I'll tell you this. We got a friend that sticks closer than a brother in Jesus. And hopefully we got people that love Jesus that are by our side also. I want you to stand with me. You know, one of the things I think we overlook sometimes, I don't want to ever get to the point where we can't sing the old hymns of the church. Uh, I, I like new stuff and all this, but I tell you what, I don't want to kick out the old stuff to put in the new stuff all the time. There's an old song that uh, you've probably heard if you've been in church any time in your life. I'm, I'll tell you what it is. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. Can you say it? No, not one. None else could heal all my soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. 
listen. Jesus knows all about my struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No. you to do something for me you're on a row with some other people just go and stand next to the ones on your row so everybody's standing by somebody I know that gets you out of your comfort zone you know you probably don't even know their name but I'm just trying to make, make a little point here I want you to you're telling them Hey, I'm here for you if you need me. If you ever fall down, I'd be happy to help you up. If you need a friend, I'd be a friend. That's what the church is all about. That's what the body of Christ is all about. I want you to pray for that person that you're standing next to that you may or may not even know. And let's just close out in prayer. And then we'll pray for these right here. Would you join me, Heavenly Father? It's not my brother or my sister. It's me many times, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, I don't want to walk through this life by myself. I want to make a difference in somebody else's life. I want to let others know, as a child of God, we're in the minority down here. This world's not our home. We're going against the current. We need friends. We've got a friend in high places in Jesus. We need friends that walk with us down here. We need somebody that will pray for us, somebody that will encourage us, somebody that will be there when we need somebody. We need the family of God. You didn't leave us here to be alone. You left us here to be a part of a family. I pray, Father, may we as a church intervene, intercede, and love one another as you called us to love one another, to be united. I pray this church will be a church where you can count on us. We'll be there. You won't go by yourself. We'll walk with you with Jesus every step of the way. We ask, Father, bind us together in love that will not be broken as a friend. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. Do y'all need any particular prayer or you just come down here to pray at the altar? Okay. Okay. Good deal. I wish everybody would come down to pray at the altar from times. Uh, that's what the altars are for. You know, we're not here to signal people out. We're here to, to point people to Jesus. Tonight we're going to have a prayer service. And we invite you to be a part of that. That'll be uplifting. Uh, we thank you for coming. Tell whoever you're standing by you love them. Let them know. Jesus loves them too. God bless you. We appreciate you for coming.